0: The city was gripped by fear. It was a terrible summer. The heat was intolerable. There'd been storms and fires, another premiere gone and a burst of lying and vested interests, an unexpected resurgence of the virus for four hot weeks, and then came a serial killer as the icing on the cake.
1: Hello, and welcome to this episode of Season 3 of Ear Movies Murder Ballads. Sometimes, writing ear movies, I have a specific voice in mind. You can't always have them as a reader, of course, but, wow, it's amazing when you do. Samuel Johnson was one of those voices. He said it was an honour to read this story. I think he's perfect as the wannabe director who decides to chase the reward for a serial killer loose in the city in a summer that feels like it's never going to end. Please enjoy him reading 16 Lovers Lane. 16 Lovers Lane.
0: The city was gripped by fear, it was a terrible summer, the heat was intolerable, there'd been storms and fires, another premier gone and a burst of lying and vested interests, an unexpected resurgence of the virus for four hot weeks, and then came a serial killer as the icing on the cake, 14 dead, the police were stumped, they offered a reward of a million bucks like mice we peered from our holes when the news came that the reward was being matched by an anonymous donor some of us were lured out into the smoke-stained yellow piss air i wasn't in the police i wasn't a reporter i worked in the arts directing when i could which wasn't often If there'd been a job application for the role of nominated bounty hunter, my focus capability would be only that I liked puzzles. I was a Sudoku addict. I wasn't adverse to a good cryptic crossword either. The one puzzle I'd never cracked was personal happiness. I'd stumbled along life's highway, kicking pebbles to the verge. The pebbles were my relationships and by kicking I meant another love story ruined by my incapacity to find someone I truly cared about. Yes, they'd claimed to have loved me, but what did it matter if I didn't love them back? It was the same story with my work history. My jobs had been a series of disconnected employment affairs, every bit as tragic as my romances, and following the same trajectories, initial fervour, lust. A plateau, occasional flirting or infidelity, a tapering decline and a sudden ending. If I wasn't the terminator, I was still the terminator even though I didn't deliver the blow. Endings can be manufactured in a variety of ways. Now I was 40, alone and unemployed. Potential eviction looming. Not for the first time, it should be said. The idea of a reward was thrilling, and I believed I was beyond thrills. I'd like to claim there was altruism there as well. Care for the grief stricken who were distraught over the loss of their loved ones. I'm not saying it was my priority, but it was a byproduct. Two million dollars on the line. I knew nothing. The sensible place to begin was my brother, the desk sergeant, a role he'd had for decades. I think he liked seeing me. It was sometimes hard to tell. I used to know he did. These days, there was more hesitation in his tone. Jez'll be here for dinner, he called to his wife, Sue. No worries, Dale," she shouted back from the kitchen. They'd been surfing the edge of contentment since high school. What do you reckon about these murders? I asked, once we'd settled, once the first beer had been cracked, once the intrusion of his concern into my private life was dispensed with. He looked at me. Yeah, he said, next question. I smiled. Seriously? Are the cops as stumped as the papers are saying? Fourteen young women dead, all strangled, nothing that appears to connect them. Well, they're all young women, I pointed out. Nothing else though, Jess. They didn't know each other, lived in different suburbs, although before you point out the obvious again, all were in a city suburbs of Sydney. I don't know much about murder, I said, but isn't the killer usually known to them? He nodded. Normally that is the case, although it's not mandatory, of course. Anything to indicate these women knew their killer. He looked at me. You're very interested, he said. I smiled. I smiled. All of the city is interested. You won't get the reward, Jez. There's actual trained investigators on the trail. You don't have the experience. Not after the reward, I lied. He looked into me, in the way that he had whenever I brought a new girlfriend around or started a new job. When I talked about her childhood, for that matter. Don't get me wrong, I said. I wouldn't knock it back. The beer was going down well. You could certainly use the money, he said. I knew why I was lying to him. To admit I was going after the reward would be like admitting I was relying on winning the lotto. Truth was, I needed the reward, or a lotto win, if I was to have a hope of avoiding a crap old age reliant on the pension and the benevolence of a landlord. And I knew there were very few benevolent landlords. If I told him I was going after the reward, it would be an admission that my life was a failure. He thought that already, but I didn't want to confirm it. I know nothing that hasn't been in the papers, he said. Two of the girls went to the same high school, but they were three years apart. Two others were in the same nightclub in the previous fortnight, but from what we can gather, they didn't know each other. Certainly wasn't the same night. Two had the same surname, Wilson, not the most uncommon surname in the world, that's about all we know. We had shepherd's pie. For the millionth time I wondered why I had never found someone I was as compatible with as Neil was with Sue. She wasn't the woman for me, but she was the one for him. Back at home, I opened the newspaper. It had a map of the murder sites. I'm sure hundreds of other bounty hunters were looking at the same map. Physical proximity was the only clue though. On the map, the central point between the killings was the inner west. Only about a million people lived there. I went to the window of my flat. Lights flashed. Sirens wailed. Another night in the big city. Somewhere out there, a killer lurked. We all knew they'd strike again. If I was going to actually try and get the reward, I needed a different approach to everyone else. One that increased the odds for me. I was going to put my chances not on exploring the past. I was going to try and examine the future. I supposed not all the police were running down clues. I wouldn't be the only one looking forward. Their specialists would also be trying to find patterns of behavior and looking for connections. The simplest one was in the array of dots. Two obvious holes, one in the southwest, the other in the southeast. I looked at the scenes in terms of time, from earliest to most recent, something stood out. I had to call Neil. Is there something the police aren't saying? "'Good morning, Jez. Yes, I'm well, thanks, Jez. Great night last night.' "'I've been up for a while,' I said. "'I've been thinking about this a lot.' "'Have you slept at all?' he asked. "'A little,' I lied. "'There's a body that hasn't been found.' He was quiet. "'Neil?' "'Yeah, we think so. "'It hasn't been announced. "'The premier, the new premier, "'believes that it's sensible not to alarm an already-alarmed population.' The dates indicate a potential murder eight weeks ago. But we don't know. Maybe the murderer took the night off. Perhaps they were scared away, or they just hid this body extra well. Maybe, for whatever reason, they couldn't go through with it. We don't know, but Jez, keep this to yourself, please. Sure, I said. Are you really going after this? Neil asked. Not something to do, I told him. Looking for an actual job is also something to do. He said. I cycled out to East Lake. It was all very well describing the southeast, but that was still a huge area. Cycling was the best way to get somewhere. No parking hassles. Slow enough you could see everything. Fast enough not to get bored by walking. I noticed her after about two hours curly hair. Round face. She was wearing a long skirt. She was on a bike as well. But one of those fashionable ladies' bikes, nicely painted. Basket at the front. I half expected it to contain a kitten. She peered down lanes, looked into windows. Even stopped once or twice in front of abandoned buildings and made notes. When I passed her next, she was sitting outside an artisan bakery with a coffee on the table in front of her. I was hungry anyway. I ordered and sat at the table next to her. I thought about talking to her. I'm not usually shy in social situations. To tell the truth though, I was beginning to feel a bit down about the whole thing. Riding around for a couple of hours and the sheer scope of the exercise had landed heavily on top of my lack of sleep. The enthusiasm I'd felt 12 hours earlier had burned off doubt was now whipping it with an edge of futility. You want half a bagel? She suddenly asked. I was still waiting for mine to arrive. You look hungry, she said. I smiled. Thanks, I said, but I'm okay. I have one on the way. I'm sorry, she said. You looked like I couldn't afford one. She turned away. I laughed. I sat next to her. I saw you riding around this morning, I told her. You're after the reward, aren't you? She nodded, brushing some hair from her face. The day was warming up and she was sweating. I pulled out my notebook. This is what I'm figuring, I said. I explained about my summer in the post office, another job I'd flirted with before abandoning. Just before computers, though. I memorised a lot of postcodes. He's only killing in postcodes that are even numbered. Could be a coincidence, but if not, it narrows things down a bit. She pulled out a notepad of her own. No diagrams in this one, though. Just page after page of writing. Relevant details. My theory matches yours, though. I think the next murder will be around here somewhere. It's a big area, I said. A white-haired waitress arrived with my bagel. I smiled. She smiled back. Just as she got close though, the bagel dropped to the ground. I thought she was going to cry. I reassured her it was fine. I helped her clean it up. She thanked me profusely and promised another. I turned back. Half a bagel now sat in front of me. I smiled. Thanks. I said. My name's Jez. I added. I'm Penny. Said the other cyclist. I'm an actor, not a spectacularly successful one, and that has to be said. Actor? I asked. My mouth half full. It was a great bagel. Mm Mm-hmm. Actors get into character before every role, that's what I'm trying to do today. My second bagel arrived, this time landing safely. The waitress apologised again, and once more I reassured her that it was fine. You're too kind, she said. I'm a director, I told Penny as the waitress departed, but I've done a bit of everything over the years. I cut the bagel in half and passed the second piece to her. I was glad she didn't pretend to protest. Instead, she started eating it immediately. I like puzzles, you see. That's how I worked out about this area. You? Similar, I suppose. I looked at where the murders have been committed and I thought, hmm, there's a couple of places I haven't been yet. Can I tell you my theory? She asked. Go on. I think the police aren't telling us about a murder, one they don't know about yet. There's a hole in the dates. I liked her already. I wondered what it would be like to work together as a team she looked earnest blonde curls sort of a serious bernadette peters slightly goth thing happening though a couple of tarts interesting looking not classically beautiful but who was at our age except kate blanchett there was a bright sincerity in her eyes that would still be attractive when she was 100. i wasn't necessarily thinking of her romantically maybe i was punching above my weight but she'd be fun to hang out with for a while We have a common goal, I said. You're an actor, I'm a director. It makes sense to work together. I was thinking the same thing, she said. I don't think we have much of a chance of catching the killer, not really, but it's pretty obvious we think alike. We've ended up here together and two heads are better than one, I said. If we combine our skills, who knows what could happen. I like your optimism, she said. Don't get used to it, I told her. It was her. She was making me optimistic. She smiled. She had a beautiful smile. Despite my best intentions, right then, bloody optimism ruled. We ordered more coffees and I looked at my notebook again. I was serious when I said we should combine our skills, I said. I'm casting you as a detective and I'm going to direct her. I don't think that's the right approach, she said. Let's come at this another way. How about, I'm the serial killer. How would you direct me in that role? I thought for a moment. Yeah, method acting, I like it, I said. I pulled out a daily telegraph from my bag. I didn't usually buy the telly. Well, not very often anyway. There was a double spread which had pictures of all the victims. They were helpfully laid out in chronological order of death. Penny took the newspaper from me. Wow, she said, they're all so pretty. Look at them, I told her, you're a killer. Why are you choosing them? "'I obviously hate blondes,' she said. "'Maybe your mother was blonde,' I said. She shook her head. "'I don't think so,' she said. "'Their hair is long. Mums have short hair, well, more than wives and girlfriends do. This killer isn't stalking his mother. It's his blonde partner.' I looked at them. Was there anything else we could find that they had in common? I was sure the police had professional profilers who'd do a far better job than we could, None of them had Stanislaski in their back pockets, though. We've made a big jump to assume the killer is male, I pointed out. Come on, she said, name one female serial killer. They have to be strong, too, to manage all that strangling. I'm not saying it can't be a woman, but the chances are lower. I agree, I said. We'll keep the option open, but I think it's sensible to assume the killer is male. And if you're right, a male who has marital problems... Hell of a way to sort them out, Penny said. Just kill people randomly who remind you of your wife. Go back into your part, I suggested. Is there another logic to killing them? She thought for a moment. Practice? She asked. You know, building up to the one you really want to kill. That's a lot of risk for a rehearsal, pointed out. Mistake? She asked. You keep killing the person you want to kill, then find it's not them. Again, a lot of risk for something you're not sure about. Well, then I'm killing because I want them all dead. We thought about the implications of that for a while. Why? I asked. They all know something I don't want them to know. How do you know them? We read their biographies. Neil was right. There was nothing that they appeared to have in common. They don't have a connection with each other, but I have a connection to them, she said. She smiled again. I really liked her smile. I'm sure the police must have considered this theory as well, but it had probably taken them hours of expert consultation to come up with this realisation. All it had taken us was a couple of bagels, some coffee, and a rehearsal room. How are we going to make the next step? I asked. We don't have access to any records. They don't have our experience in character development, she said. I had to admit she was right. Where would you go to find women like that? A dating site, I wondered. Tinder, maybe. Have you tried Tinder? She asked. It's not something I talk about, I told her. She was silent. She was good. I had to fill the silence. I tried it once. No one I liked ever responded to me. Didn't anyone like you? She asked. Now the real shame. They did, but they were the biggest collection of nonnas this side of the old country, and I'm not even from the old country. A couple even posed with the cakes they'd made. I think they wanted me to glide into old age with them via an eternal high tea. That may be my eventual fate, I admit it, but not yet. She rested her hand on mine, warm, just briefly, nothing too romantic. But it was the first time we touched. We met the next morning back at the bakery. We could have spent the rest of our lives there eating sourdough and blue cheese. We would have been as constipated as hell, but it would have been worth it. Not two blocks from where we sat, the next victim had been murdered. She was the same blonde mold, long hair. She was dressed in a pink cardigan. It affected me that we were so physically close. I think it touched Penny as well. She was quiet, so was I. I think we were both thinking about the poor young woman who had died just a few kilometers away from us while we flirted with both preventing her death and each other. Neither of us had wished her any harm, of course. We both would have done anything to have saved her if we'd been able. But while we'd been chatting happily, looking too closely into each other's eyes, a life had been taken. Another young woman... Perhaps unmemorable on the bus, but unforgettable as a headline for her prettiness, her vulnerability, and for the fact she was now gone. There was a grieving family. I spooned some butter onto the bread and added the homemade preserve. I feel kind of guilty, Penny said after a while. I finished chewing and slept some tea. We're only peripheral, I said. It sounded kind of profound. She nodded. I know, she said, but we were right, weren't we? About where the murder would take place? We worked that out. What does that mean? Does it mean that our other theories are right as well, that the killer hates his wife, that he's picking a certain type of woman he has some kind of access to? Her words came at a rush, as if equilibrium needed to be restored. My reply was slower and more measured, more considered. We need more information, I said eventually. Somehow, I think we've tapped into something the police haven't. Our unique skill sets, I added. I think we should keep going. You really think we can find him? I couldn't answer. Instead, I took more toast. As if it was a T.S. Eliot kind of morning. I didn't know anything beyond bleakness and sawdust flaws. I liked Penny, though. I knew that. I was happy to commit this time to her and a hope for more to come. Humans are strange, aren't we? I cut the toast into fingers dribbled on the strawberry jam. These were my victims, I thought. I passed her some jammy toast like I wasn't thinking about it. It was all I was thinking about. She smiled and chewed slowly. Have I mentioned how I felt about her smile? I think there's two million dollars in the next potential victim's life on the line, I said. I think we should continue to try and find the killer for both those reasons. She took more toast. I breathed again. I'd concealed the lack of breath from her. She took the toast as if it was unimportant. It was everything. What will you do with the cash if we win it? She asked. Win it? I thought. She means help an assassin be convicted. Save potential lives. We weren't winning anything, although there would be a prize. Ah, oh, the usual, I said. A house, new car, some travel. You? Mm-hmm, she said. Or a film, I said. Maybe I could make a low-budget film. I passed her another finger. She chewed slowly. Would you have a part for me? I looked at her, as if seriously considering it. You'd have to audition, but yeah, there's every chance. She already had the leading role, of course. She poured some tea for me. I wanted to kiss her. It was foreplay with a pot of Darjeeling. Let's go back to where we were, I said. You're a disgruntled husband. Why do you want to kill your wife? You could leave, get a divorce, have an affair. The road to separation doesn't have to lead to murder, she thought. That's the wrong question, she said. The right question is, when am I going to kill my wife? I raised an eyebrow. Go on, I said. She thought some more. I kill her all the time, she said. Every murder is the death of my wife. But is it, I asked. ''You're right,'' she said after a little while. ''I kill her, but she's not dead. I need to kill her more. She's still tormenting you. I need to kill her repeatedly,'' she said. A buttered toast, she poured tea. ''We could live forever like this,'' I thought. Then she spoke again. ''Or,'' she said, ''I've already killed her, and I'm concealing my involvement.'' I thought about this. ''Why?'' I asked. Either I'm pretending to myself that she's not dead, or... Or what? I wanted to know. Or I'm hiding her murder. More specifically, I'm hiding that I am the murderer. Sometimes you hear words that ring like church bells. Like... Safety in numbers, I asked. I passed more toast to her. A drop of jam slid off the bread. Somehow despite reality and fell in slow motion. Splat on the table, thick and blood red. We both knew she was right. It made perfect sense. My heart was racing. We need to check the husbands, I said. She nodded. More jam was sliding down her chin. A blood trail of understanding. Suddenly the white-haired waitress was there. She was scowling as she wiped the table and thrust a napkin at Penny. She left us to our thoughts, was it the truth? Had 15 women died to cover up the death of one? I smiled, if we get the money, I'm definitely gonna make a film, I said. Penny nodded, I wanna be in it. She poured more tea into my cup. She's luring me, I realized. As I'm luring her, she's doing the same to me. I wondered if she recognized what I was doing as I recognized her actions. She probably did. We spent hours together over the next fortnight. I think we both knew something else was happening between us, although neither wanted to acknowledge we'd been brought together by murder. We stayed professionals though, glances and grazes of our arms and hands and hips, but as if by accident, although often, but not with our lips, not yet. That was the other prize to come. We texted late, called early, ate together often, Our calculations were based on Penny's characterisation. Four of the dead women were single, that left 11 suspects. One husband was out of the country when his wife was killed, which brought the number down to 10. The papers had kindly listed their partners' names and occupations. We'd meet at the cafe. We were midway into that interminable February. For the past week, the heat had been unrelenting. Like a clock ticking, we were expecting the killer to strike again. I suppose the whole city was. She smiled and wiped my brow with a napkin. If it's one of the partners, she said, all we have to do is work out where he's meeting the women. But it could be so many places, I said, online or in real life, anywhere he can have contact with people. They've got to be the right kind of women, she reminded me. Dating sites are the obvious go-to. They're all being monitored now, she said. I checked last night. I looked at her. She touched my hand. Purely for professional purposes, she reassured me. I liked this girl. Hey, she said. I have an audition this afternoon. Oh really? That's great. I knew she'd been to a million auditions. She called them an actor's lottery. What's the role? She shrugged. New play. Sounds terrible, but it'd still be something. I smiled. I'm playing the wife. Her words hung in the air between us. writ large, I suppose you'd say. We could practically see them there. Audition site, I said. The killer is finding his victims on an audition site. It made perfect sense. They were niche. He could sort by age and type. I looked up at Penny. Yours? She shook her head. Legit, she said, my agent. There'll be a bunch of others in the room as well, but I think we're onto something. It was just so hard. It was injurious to thinking. Even talking was an effort. The city shimmered around us. The wind swept the dead leaves along. I could hear their whispered voices pleading for a happier ending than to become dust. Just like us, I thought. are you? Penny was asking. Right here, I said. I said, do you want to go online this afternoon and make a list of audition sites? I don't think there are that many. Yeah, I said. Great idea. She was staring at me. I stared back, smiling. What? I said, after a while. She shook her head. Nothing, she said, meeting my eyes. We were getting closer. I did as she instructed and trolled the internet all afternoon. There were four main audition sites where you could register your details and upload your profiles. Prospective directors could then browse for prospective stars. And prospective killers could browse for prospective victims. I applied filters, age, hair colour, ethnicity. I texted Penny, told her what I was doing, asked her how it was going. Waiting, she explained. She sent me a photo of herself in a queue. Then, unexpectedly, rang me. I'm looking forward to seeing you later, she said. I liked that she told me. Yeah, same, I said. That makes me smile, she told me. I liked her smile very much. Who knew this could come from pain, she asked. Girls are dying, yet it's brought us together. Don't try and make sense of life, I said. I felt the need to move, so I rang Neil and organised to meet up for a beer. Everyone else around us was sweating. He seemed not to notice. He wore a polo shirt, shorts, long socks and shoes. Hey, I think Division 4 wants their costume back, I said. He bought the first round. You still on your wild goose chase, he asked. We might be on to something, I told him. We, he asked. There's a woman helping me. Oh, that's great, he said, taking a long drink. I drank too. I told him our theories. This is official, I said. We want the reward if we're right. He phoned it in. Was it my imagination or did he actually sound a bit proud when he gave them my name? He smiled but then became quickly serious. Sue's got to have some tests, he said. Yeah. She found a lump, a small one. They have to check. Cancer is the real serial killer, I said. We don't know if it's cancer, he said. I could see the whole scenario now though the visits to the doctor, the operation that didn't go quite as well as they'd hoped, the battle of chemo and radiation, the sickness, weight loss, hair loss, continual decline, and then a lonely afternoon at a church with old platitudes and even older suits. Neil would know my life after that. He'd understand what it had been like for me for so long, only worse because I didn't have his long prelude of contentment. She'll be fine, I said. We're being cautiously optimistic, he said. The doctor has been encouraging. Really, until the biopsy results, we have no reason to worry very much at all. My glass had emptied itself. His was getting low as well. I ordered more. We were planning another cruise, but that's on hold now, of course. Already the nightmare scenarios were running through my head. One had Penny and I happily married while Neil lived alone in a dusty, empty house, drinking too much, too sad, too often. I pushed it away. We weren't there yet. Not me and Penny? And not Em and Sue. We talked about sport for a while. Football and motor racing mainly. He followed the horses, but I didn't. A text from Penny. Cautiously optimistic. The same words Neil had said. If optimism was going to exist in the world, I wanted it unbridled. I wanted it to flourish. To be a potent force for change. To flood us with cause for hope. I didn't want it cautious. I'd throw caution to the hot wind. It could vanish with the sad and dusty leaves and leave us only positivity and desire. But we didn't live in that world. After talking with Neil, we had three suspects. All of them, it seemed, grieving husbands. Only we believed one of them wasn't. I texted Penny and we arranged to meet at the cafe. The fortnight was nearly up, and another murder was imminent. I arrived slightly late, as usual. She'd have to get used to that. Her bike was there. I waited at a table. She must be in the toilet. After half an hour I called Neil. I told him what was happening. How long should I wait to be worried, I asked. This is uncharacteristic behaviour. At any other time I'd write it off, I'd say, she met an old friend, had an accident, became ill. But she would have contacted me, I know that. Let me make some calls, he said. I asked the staff if they'd seen Penny. No one had. They could see I was worried. I sat at the cafe. Two coffees in front of me that grew cold as I waited. The white-haired waitress, surly on so many recent visits, was surprisingly solicitous and soothing. Then a call from Neil. Have you found Penny? I asked. No, but because of what you told us, we think we know who the killer is. That's good. Not so good. Uh, We don't know where he is. And we still haven't got any ideas about Penny. She's taken on the worst role, I thought. She's method acting again, and now she's taken the part of a person trapped in a car boot, woman with hands tightening around her neck, murder victim number 16. No, not Penny, please. I tried to breathe. Just remain there, Neil said. In case our theories are wrong and she turns up, we need to know straight away. We have everyone on this. We've got CCTV actioned all over the city. Phones are being monitored. Bolo's issued. Everything we have. All this technological force. And she was still missing. Call me as soon as you hear something, I said. You too, he told me. They say waiting is the hardest. It's bloody true. I mean... I've never crouched under the lip of the trench, waiting to go over the top, or sat in a space shuttle on the launch pad, or the dressing room as I waited to run onto the field for the grand final, but sitting in that cafe then, with the rest of the world going on around me as normal, if anything in that summer could be counted as normal, was interminable. I had two texts from spammers that nearly made me jump out of my skin. Every time someone entered the cafe, I'd be hoping, desperately hoping, it was her. The staff could tell something was wrong. The white haired waitress offered me a free coffee. Minutes dragged into hours. She gave me food I couldn't eat. I thought of all those other husbands whose wives had gone missing. All the ones who hadn't been murderers. They'd all waited like this at first. A simple conclusion, she's running late. Then a growing concern, I'm worried about her, which grew to despair and grief, why her? like me. I was in stage 2. I looked at my phone for the millionth time. I thought of ringing Neil again for the millionth time. For the millionth time I thought of leaving the cafe and running, just running anywhere until I found her. I heard sirens and went outside. Two police cars screamed down the street. They were trapped at the lights by a stupid driver who hadn't gotten out of the way in time. Then they were freed and raced off. Were they even connected to the case? The wait staff were all looking at me as I came back inside. More sirens? Were they coming for me? Was I Mr. Hyde, blinking at Dr. Jekyll in and out of existence? How could I know? The mind is its own universe. At these times, the mind plays tricks on you. All I could really be sure of was the penny was gone forever. I looked down. Was there blood on my hands? There was no blood. No blood on me at all. I wasn't the killer, I was still standing. The white haired waitress came over and put her arms around me. I fell into her, not crying, not yet, just empty. I pulled away and she led me to my table where my phone sat silently, a useless metal and plastic box. The clock ticked, it was equally unhelpful. I looked back to the phone, when it rang what would be the news, we found her, She's dead. We still don't know. What was she thinking? She had to have been approached. She knew the danger had she gone with him. Did he have some special attracting force that compelled her to follow? Had he hypnotised her or simply dragged her to his car? I sipped my cold cappuccino. I'd been offered a life and had been taken away. I craved movement. I despised waiting. They say it's better not to be in the news. I pictured the headlines. Disappeared on her way to a cafe where she was to meet. I got stuck there. Who was Penny to meet? A friend? A date? A lover? We weren't lovers, and probably now we'd never be. I suddenly felt very sad about that and I died my tears. Then the phone rang. Five years have passed, so much is different now. The reward money changed everything for me. I didn't receive all of it, but the share I was offered was more than enough to mount a play. A book followed, then a movie. I met Carla when we were casting. Beautiful, raven-haired, familiar and foreign at the same time, I liked both parts of her. After so many flings and the loss of Penny, she was real and permanent. She told me I could never lose her, and I was happy with that. She was a good actress as well. We both won awards and then made a second movie more successful than the first. We took a summer holiday together, Carla and Neil and Sue and I. Sue staggers along. She's lost weight and some of her joy, but her journey continues. A bunch of diagnoses every time we think she's in the clear. We still think she'll beat it, but it's going to take more energy yet. Neil has retired to take care of her. He's changed as well, greyer, more sombre, less critical though. Sometimes though, on those nights when Carla's gone to bed early when I've elected to stay up late with a whiskey or two, standing on our tall balcony overlooking the night city, sometimes then, I think about the journey, the dead women who brought me here. We were right, Benny and I, you see, it was the husband of the ninth victim he killed the rest as cover for his wife's murder. The brutal logic of hiding his wife's body in a crowd of others while he stood back in the shadows. The arrest was quite something. He appeared unsuspecting but didn't go down without a fight. The footage is still online. The shouting, the running, the carjacking and the high-speed pursuit, helicopter overhead, cars flying down the city streets, traffic lights becoming irrelevant trivia and a desperate game. Cornered eventually. Tire spike disabling the car. Several tasers disabling him. Innocuous looking man. Could have been any one of us. The guy next to you at the supermarket. The passenger sitting next to you on the train. The person who brought you coffee. There's a line somewhere, I think about World War II. The banality of evil. Someone who killed someone and then killed 15 others to hide it. He's locked away for the rest of his life now, in a prison designed for the hardest. He's not missed. I sip my drink, hear the clink of the ice cubes, look at my expensive clothes. We start production on a new film soon. Wheels are being oiled, gears are already turning, cranks are rotating in preparation. The virus has subsided for now. There is some sanity in the talk about alleviating the climate crisis. The fires have abated at least temporarily. Words of peace are whispered. I stand high above the suburban roofs of my audience. I'm growing used to hearing my name called in the street in the stream of selfie requests. This is my world now. But always, always, I wonder... What happened to Penny. I remember her getting into character. She was a great actor. I wish I'd been able to work with her properly on a set in front of a crew. The world would have seen something amazing. She was the best, I think. She brought me to where I live now. She and the other dead women. But she was not killed by the arrestee. Of course, one serial killer doth not a summer make. Is there another one out there? Someone else stalking the sunsets and ready to snatch? Penny is still listed as missing. Her parents have appeared on screens begging for the return of their beautiful daughter. That was in the early days. Now they appear sad, if they appear at all. Dragged out during crime week as a reminder. I remember my brief intersection with Penny. Her smile. Her intelligent eyes. Her care. And the compassion she had. I cannot believe she was taken for some tawdry gratification. But we suppose that must be what happened. Occasionally, remains are found. I turn the news up then, waiting for a name. It is never her. I think about her parents then. Are they doing the same? We are linked in that way. The connection to a hope that she'll still be found. That one day she will walk back into our lives with some reasonable explanation for her absence. A time warp, a trip to another dimension, return from a coma. Any more rational explanation for her time away would most likely involve pain and deprivation and suffering and... We don't want that for her. We know she will never walk back into our lives. That is the hope of those who miss. I hear the glass door sliding open behind me and I know Carla is standing there watching me. She walks over and I hear my glass being filled. Can't sleep? She asked. "Mm Hmm. I keep my back to her. Soft piano music plays in my head. Don't try and make sense of life, I think. She kisses the back of my neck. Her hair tickles. Not for the first time. I wonder how I found her so soon after Penny. Her arms snake around my waist. I touch her hands and we could stand like this forever. Where did you come from? I whisper. I've been close to you for a long time, silly. She whispers back.
1: That was Samuel Johnson reading 16 Lovers Lane. It was recorded on Coolin' Land at Sam's home studio in Victoria. Thanks, Em. Trevor Brown did the music. By did, I mean composed and performed it. Brilliant. I've been told it's really important to build subscribers, so can you please like the show and follow it on whatever platform you're using to listen to it? It'll make a big difference. Ear Movies are written and produced by me, Simon Luckhurst. Thanks for listening.